Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm your host, Fabio Molly, and every week I bring you insights from players, coaches, parents, and experts who are ingrained in the world of high-level tennis. Today, we're getting straight into the high level of tennis fitness. It's been a while since I've had a strength and condition trainer on the podcast, and I'm very excited to chat to Dalibor Sarola, the current strength and conditioning coach of Sasha Zarev. As well as working with Sasha, Dalibor is the head SNC coach at the Piatti Tennis Centre. He's previously worked with players such as Ivan Lubacic, Andrea Seppi, Milos Reitnich, Yannick Sinner, Borna Courage, and Sharapova. We chat about his role at the Piatti Tennis Centre, getting confidence back into Zerev. What differentiates the top players from the lower ranked? Testing players, strength levels, flywheel technology. We touch on a developed model for juniors and get into other areas. Strength trainers are personally my favorite type of guest to speak to, and this chat with Dalibor did not disappoint. If you find this episode interesting and you're new to the podcast, we've had many other great strength trainers on the podcast. We've had Eric Hernandez, who works with Daniel Medvedev. We've had Jason Stacey, who works with Sabalenka. We've had Sebastian Durand, who works with Dimitrov. We've had Matt Little, who works with Andy Murray, and Lapo Beccarini, who works with Holger Ruin. These that I've mentioned here are all long-term trainers with the player. And there's something in that alone. But both Matt Little and Lapo Beccarini are due back on the podcast over the next few weeks, few months. I'll keep you updated on that. And finally, a shout out to our podcast sponsors, ASICS. I spent a couple of days with them at their London House of Tennis, which was just outside Wimbledon Gate. I got to catch up with players, uh, some of the ASICS team, which was amazing. I had a quick chat with Alex Deminoir, which we'll have as a short episode on the podcast very soon. And I also did a longer one with Thomas Johansson, 2002 Australian Open winner and current coach of Serena Kirstey. Okay, let's chat with Dalibor. Dalibor, welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. How are you? I'm, I'm really good and I'm excited. Uh, happy to be here, really. And I, 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 I checked a little bit and I listened to some of your podcasts uh, before. And it's a big privilege to be part of your podcast, really. Thank you. As, as I told you, we've had some great trainers on the podcast here. Yeah. And it's exciting to have an, another great trainer on here and learn from you and find out a bit more about you, how you got into training, uh, working at the Piatti Tennis Centre, what you guys do there, obviously working on the road with currently with Sarah, how you've got him back into shape, some tips and tricks you may have for our listeners. So I think there's a lot to learn here. But how about, first of all, you just tell us basically where you're from, how you got into training, or did you get into tennis first, or what way that worked about? So, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm already more than 20, 25 years in this industry, let's say. And uh, last thir 13 of this 25, I'm in the 13, 14, actually, this is 14th year, I'm in the tennis. And uh, how I started, let's say, first big step in my, my professional career was 2003. As I'm from Croatia, I opened there one uh, one uh, rehab center and uh, with one with one uh, ex business partner. So we started there with the rehabilitation and training of of, of uh, general people, but also the athletes. And uh, like this, uh, during that years, uh, uh, Ivan Ljubicic was the guy who came there, also seeking some help 
first of my business partner with physio. Then also he wanted to start with me, and uh, so I was lucky. And then Ivan uh, asked me to to start to to travel with him, and uh, like this, I'm 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 from that point I'm in the tennis, and I stayed uh, until today. So we started with Ivan. It was 2009, my first tournaments on the tour, 2010, and like I said, from uh, from that. Uh, period. Um, um, I had little. I had one year. It was 2017. Uh, I was a little bit also like thinking to change, and I went to Udinese, like first Italian division uh, football club. But I stayed there for like for one season, and then I I, I come back, and uh, I guess I, I fell in love with tennis, <laughs> so I, I I stayed with the tennis, and that's why I'm here also today. And- Soccer players, you didn't get on with them, did you? Is it different to tennis? What's the major difference between the two of them? It's a, it's a big difference. Uh, first of all, of course, uh, football, uh, soccer is a, a team sport. So immediately you have a completely different uh, mindset, uh, uh, culture, organization and everything else. Second thing, it's uh, there is a big difference because in the tennis, uh, the basically you are alone you know so everything depends on you you have a small team around you and uh, uh the sport of tennis uh, tennis is uh, is pure chaos believe me so for example in uh, in, in football in, in beginning of the season you already know uh, the dates of the matches uh, where are the breaks so you can basically schedule everything from the specific training to the strength and conditioning in the tennis, uh, this is not possible at all because, let's say, on most simple uh, uh, thing, it's like uh, you 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 plan something and then uh, your player losing first round on one tournament, the first round or the second tournament, then you suddenly have uh, a big gap and you can work. You know, on the other hand, in contrary, he can or she can win the tournament. She can go to the final and then you need to go immediately to the other tournament. So. Regarding the programmation and periodization, it's it's completely different. But one small like uh, interesting story is when I was there. So the, the the soccer players obviously they know that I was in in tennis for many years, and they were they were like telling to me, "Oh, I would like to be a tennis player. It's so good to be a tennis player." And I said, "Why? Because it's all about you. It's no one else can decide. You know, you are the boss." And I said, yes, this is true, because you know how is the soccer manager may decide you not to play because I don't know which which reason. But then I said, yeah, but listen to this one. So, for example, uh, uh, when you lose, uh, you go immediately on the web to the site to try to find your, your flight. So you need to organize this in the soccer you, you basically just show up, everything is organized. You go to the bus, to the airport, and all the people around you serving you. Here, you do everything by your own. Then from the mental standpoint, I try to explain to them uh, situations like, uh, imagine that, I don't know, you are, you are shooting penalty. So it's a big pressure, of course. Uh, so if you miss, okay, it's not good. You miss, uh, but still it's a draw, let's say. It's one all or zero zero, but in the tennis, if you miss, you miss. Let's say double fault. It's love fifteen. So it's not only uh, you miss; it's also point for the for the opponent. 
and uh, and so on, you know, and uh, it's completely different culture, of course. I like it there, but I like more tennis. Nice. And in yeah, in interest, I can see it's completely different. Soccer players have it too easy, I think. But uh, yeah, yeah, too easy. There was one example I remember. We were rehab, rehab, rehabilitating, sorry, one player uh, for a few weeks. He had some hamstring uh, problem, hamstring injury, and then when he played the first match, uh, I asked him after the match how it was, and he said oh, it was good. But you know, around 75th minute. I felt a little bit my heavy legs, you know. Then I decided to, to like just go a little bit slower for five to ten minutes. Uh, and I said to the teammates, you know, uh, the, the ones that are playing uh, positions close to him, I will go just a little bit more inside, like holding position. Can you guys just a little bit uh, cover me, you know? And then last ten minutes I was already fine. If you do like this in the tennis match, the, the, the match is over, you know. So this is a big, big difference. It's, yeah, you can hide in a soccer pitch. I know, maybe at the top, yeah. top level, you don't get it, but you get a few minutes where you can disappear. Yeah, yeah. In tennis, this is impossible. Impossible. And right now, so you're, you're, you're based out of Piatti Tennis Center. And did you first uh, come across Ricardo when you worked with Ivan Lubicic? Yeah, that was our connection. So, like I said, 2009, we started. Then I met also Ricardo and uh, basically we stayed together until now. We had like so many good years working with the players from uh, Ivan, of course, then Milos Raonic, then uh, uh, Borna Cioric, uh, Maria Sharapova, Yannick Sinner. So, uh, so many good players, so many, so many good results as well. Uh, I'm always joking a little bit. We are maybe a little bit unlucky. Because in a way unlucky, but in the other way lucky, because we we we, we work with all these players during the, the periods of the greatest. We have probably three great player players ever, you know, and then you cannot win a lot uh, having them around us, you know. But still, it was pleasure to be there to watch them, uh, how they play, how they train, and uh, it was really really nice experience. Then from 2017, we get an even more let's say, deeper relationship because Ricardo opened this uh, center here in Italy. And uh, this is uh, completely, let's say, uh, 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 another type of, of my involvement. It's not only one player. We have here uh, a lot of kids from 11, 12 years old until uh, 18, 19. And uh, some pro players also are coming here seeking advices. So, uh, really, really like profound connection with him. And what exactly is your role at the center? Yeah. So in the center, I'm uh, head of, uh, of performance, uh, head of strength and conditioning. And, uh, right now we are in total eight fitness coaches here, taking care of, uh, all the kids. And uh, uh, the center is organized in a way that we have, of course, a uh, fitness facility. We have a good um, physio, also physiotherapy service. Then we have courts as well. And we have one, uh, one mental gym. And then I, I would like to maybe take uh, a chance now to explain a little bit just how the center is it's, uh, it's, it's, it's functioning. So uh, uh, let's say first that we are, why we, why we don't call ourselves academy? 
because I think we are we are really we are different than than usual academies in in a in a few few things. So let's say first one it's uh, uh, that we offer like. Uh, services to the players and to the coaches all around the world. What, what that means? It means that players can come together with a staff, so with the coaches, with the physios, with the trainers, and seek advice from us. You know, whatever they are interested in. So let's say the last example were, uh, was Brendan Nakashima. He was here like one month ago. He stayed for three weeks because he his. Uh, he was having, now it's okay, he was having some knee issue. And so uh, we were working with him uh, mainly in the gym and in the physio room, not so much on the court. Then uh, during the December, he was uh, from uh, WTA, Sorana Kirstea. She was here like uh, to do her off-season preparation. So we are open for this kind of uh, uh, consulting uh, services. Uh, maybe also fun to hear now, basically two weeks ago, uh, here was Marat Safin because he wanted to get more ready for the senior tour, you know. So we have this kind of uh, also services. Second thing is uh, that we collaborate with tennis agencies for all around the world. Uh, we have here right now players from the Octagon, from the top five, from the IMG. So we are open for everyone, you know, who wants to send their players here and that we work with them. In which kind of uh, uh, settings uh, for a month, a year, for a whole year, doesn't matter. Then the third thing is uh, we offer uh, possibility to the coaches alone or to the physios or to the trainers to come uh, uh, and, and work with us together if they want to learn, you know, from me, or from Ricardo on the court, or from the from the physio standpoint, or on and what is really important uh, uh, that they maybe understand how we collaborate between all the areas. So how we collaborate, how we create this setup of uh, of of, of uh, how to take care of the player, uh, and we work together uh, in all these areas. Then, moreover, uh, we, we collaborate also with the, with the uh, federations, tennis federations. So uh, right now we have camps with the Italian federation, with the German federation. Like uh, a few months ago, here was the coaches from uh, Australian federation, and they also wanted to create some kind of, uh, uh, in the future, some kind of collaboration that they uh, come here to send the players before the clay season, for example, the junior players, of course. Uh, basically, we try to replicate, in a way, what uh, uh, I was doing together with Ricardo and with Claudio Zimaglia so many years on the tour. So, uh, I think we all know who was Ricardo Piatti and who is Ricardo Piatti. Claudio Zimaglia currently is the physiotherapist of Novak Djokovic. So, we were like the, the team who worked with all these players, which I mentioned before. And we try, in a way, replicate this in the, in the in the center settings and try to work like this with the with the young players as well and we coach our coaches to do so you know? what we add maybe more it's interesting to hear which is a pilot project it's so-called uh, mental gym and we created this in collaboration together with formula Me formula uh, medicine 
who is one company also from Italy, and uh, they have a great success in Formula One. And now we try this and, and we create this mental gym also here in the center. And then we, we, we also now do some also research uh, how, how and if this can work in, in the world of tennis. No? So uh, that's why I think we are a little bit different than the classic academy uh, uh, setup, which usually academy are. Yeah, I've been there now uh, to the academy, or sorry, to the center, apologies. Uh, and Are you being here? Yeah, yeah, I was here uh, twice, actually. I was there for the birthday celebration. I spent the day there and I was randomly there. I was in when was it? Just before Monte Carlo? Sorry, no, it was a few weeks before Monte Carlo. It was February time. I was there and uh, Gaia picked me up from Monaco and she drove me. She drove me, me to the oh, centre. Okay. Yeah, and drove me back, actually. Really, really nice of her. So it was just good for me to, because I've seen, I've posted so many videos. I've obviously talked to Ricardo, to the team there before. So it was good to get on site and get a, a good field of play. So that was great. But what I did notice, and I noticed this, I didn't have to come there to notice this, was there is a family field there. It is different. It's not, it doesn't feel commercial. Yeah. And that's really nice. Like, And the kids are low. I've met some of the kids there. They're really nice and respectful. Yeah, we, we are small, small center, you know. We are not the big one. We have, we, we have four uh, hard courts. We also use two clay courts, uh, which are not here, like five minutes uh, driving from, from the original center. So in total, six courts, you know, so you cannot have too many players when you have uh, six courts. But like this, we like cultivate this uh, family uh, uh, settings, you know, we, we like, uh, we can, I think, uh, spend enough time with, uh, with every player when you don't have such uh, big numbers, you know. No, agree. And uh, yeah, so I will be back there again at some stage. Uh, but moving on to what, when you've been working with uh, Zerev recently, when did that collaboration start and how did it start? It started after this year after Australian Open. They contacted me because uh, his uh, old fitness coach couldn't continue anymore. So they tried to find uh, another guy and as he's uh, based in Monaco. Uh, and uh, as you know, we are like half an hour from Monaco. They contacted me if, uh, if uh, I would be interesting to start, interested to start. So we did like 10 days of trial and uh, he was okay. And uh, since then, so it's already five months, we, we started. He was coming back from a tough injury, as you probably know from the last uh, year, Roland Garros where he broke like three ligaments in his right foot and the right ankle. And uh, when I started, he was still like uh, not fully recovered because from time to time the, the ankle was swollen, was swollen again. But as we get to the clay season, uh, where it's less impact, of course, and especially now on the grass, we don't have any more these problems. And uh, I think what we did in the last uh, three, four weeks was good. He did like three last tournaments, three semifinals, Geneva, Geneva uh, Paris and Halle now. So uh, I think we are on the, on the, on the good track right now. Yeah. It definitely looks from the outside. He's finding some good form. What did you do to give him confidence 
in his feed again. Yeah. So uh, I didn't uh, was there during the, the 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 first part of the recap, of course, because I started. Uh, so he was playing already in uh, Australia. So he was like this first part of the the recap was done. What I noticed when we started immediately, there was uh, like lack of, of elasticity in this right right foot and right ankle and right calf region. You know, when we did some initial testing, uh, left one was more springy, you know, more elastic, more fast. Regarding stability, like control, uh, there was no difference between the two legs. So basically, I explained this to Sasha and we immediately started to work on this uh, a lot. So running base uh, drills, you know, uh, jumping and changing of direction and so on. Always putting more emphasis on the, on the right foot, of course. And uh, yeah, with the time, of course, in repetitions, but also, you, you know, you, you need confidence. You need confidence. So, so you need to play. You need to be on the court. You need time after this uh, kind of injuries, you know. Uh, one small detail or secret, let's say, when we started to work, he was asking, you know, what do you think when I can be again on, on, on my best physically and then also on the court, like, uh, and, and then I said, uh, listen, and, and, and I went a little bit on the, on the web, internet to find a little bit. And then you remember when Novak operated his, uh, his elbow. So he, he, he retired from Wimbledon. He didn't play until Australia and uh, he was struggling first three, four months of the season. Then he started to play better on the, on the clay and then on the grass again, he found the rhythm and uh, he, he was speaking, let's say again, uh, on the Wimbledon next year. Then I, 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 I took out all the, his losses from the start of the season, that season. No, I think it was 2017, if I remember well, and he was losing like, against the players really like not his caliber, you know? And uh, basically the same thing happened to Sasha. So Sasha also did his best results again in Paris, uh, like defending semi-final, but he was struggling. Yes, he was struggling uh, during the indoor season, then also in the, in the States, in Nevales, Miami. Was playing better, but still struggling. And then on the clay as well. But uh, in the end of the clay season, he found again the, 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 the right rhythm. So, you know, these ones are tough injuries. Uh, it's not only about pure physical recovery, you know, or physiological tissue recovery. It's also confidence on the court, uh, believing, playing matches, because tennis is specific. You need to be on the court. You need, you need, you need to spend time there, you know, competing. Yeah. And... What's he like to work with? You know, when you're working with uh, with top players, it's uh, it's something different when you work in the center or the academies uh, with the kids. You know, it, it's different. Uh, there, it's uh, more close to the top. You are there. There is more pressure. So uh, 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 yesterday or day before, I listened to the Jason Stacy uh, podcast with you. And I'm completely agree with him, what he was saying, you know, on the tap level, uh, it's so much about uh, emotional control, about uh, energy expenditure control, you know, how you deal with the stress, uh, which it's around you, you know, your expectations, uh, other expectations. So uh, 
and this also it's like a big part of, of, of our job, of my job, you know, because you, you, you try to be close to the player and then it's not only about the training, it's not only about, okay, now we're going to increase your strength or we're going to increase your endurance level. No, no, it's so much about this, this self-control, mindfulness, uh, uh, because you can have a player, for example, you can have a player who is like, like physically a beast, let's imagine this, no? Uh, but if he doesn't have this, this tuning, tuned, uh, well-tuned system, you know, of uh, controlling his emotion and controlling his stress uh, uh, response and uh, how he is burning energy, uh, he can get burned out in one hour of, of match, you know. Now, we had the example in, in, in Paris with Al Carlos Alcaraz, you know, who is probably one of the fittest players and he's young. And uh, we saw uh, trends after one hour and 40 minutes. It was against Novak, you know. And he was on it. He said, who is uh, the press conference after the match, you know. Uh, the player who said that he's not tense and nervous when he's playing against Novak is lying, you know. Again, when we were working like with, uh, with Yannick Sinner, no, here, uh, he was one of our kids. He came here with 14 years old. So I remember his, uh, when he was at his first US Open, actually second one. First one he qualified and he lost against Stan Wawrinka first round. Second year he was in the main draw and he played first round against, against Karen Kachanov. And so he played. It was a hot day, very humid. He played first set, he won. Then second set, it was a big battle, no? And then he... He managed to win, so 2-0, so two sets up, and then he stand up after the changeover to start the third set and cramps both both uh, quads, both both quadriceps. And then he was struggling. He lost two sets, six one, six zero, or something like that. And then fifth one, he lost in the in the tiebreaker. And I remember talking to him. I think it was next day. Uh, doesn't matter. And, uh, like I said, he said to me, yeah, Dalibor, we need to work more. I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to play at that level, you know, physically and this kind of things, you know? And then I said, okay, Yannick, I'm agreed. We need to work. We need to improve, of course, but, uh, let me know because I was, uh, I wasn't there. So I was, uh, uh, here in the center. So I asked him, give me a little bit, what was going on, uh, information, what, what was going on in your head during the match, you know? Then he said, oh, man, it was so hot, so humid. Uh, so first set I won, then the second set it was a big battle. And then in one moment I said, oh, man, I need to win this one because if it's one all and we are on the court more than two hours and who will go to the, to the, to the fourth set, you know, I, I cannot do it. So I went like 120%. I was pushing as hard as possible. So what he was doing, he was going like over you know, let's say over his limits, he was, he was burning so much energy. Over Evan. When he, when he accomplished the task, which was winning the second set, he sat on the bench, you know, what is going on? The body, the mind is relaxes. Yeah, man, you did it. Now you need to recover a little bit. You need to stop. You cannot go on like this another two hours because you don't have so much energy inside your tank, you know? And then when he wanted to continue, the mind said, no, no, wait. Nervous system wants you now to stop a little bit, you know. Again, we are talking about this 
uh, energy control, energy expenditure, and that's why young players need experience at that level, you know, to play these big matches, to, to learn how to control themselves, you know. And this is the big thing on the, on the high level. This is like the biggest difference between top guys and the guys uh, like rank 20, 30, 40, it doesn't matter now. This is the biggest difference. It's not about who is hitting better backhands, forehands. Of course, everyone has a little bit better backhand or forehand on serve or return. There are differences. But in general, when you see them uh, training or practicing together and they are hitting from the middle first 10, 15 minutes, you cannot see a big difference. Huh? And do, do you think Yannick is still suffering a little bit from pressure over exerting himself? Because he seems to be... He seems to pull out of matches more often than a lot of players. Yeah, now it's difficult to say because uh, I, I'm not close. We are not close to him like we was before, you know. And like I said, when you get closer to the top, you are more difficult. It is for sure. And uh, 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 this managing these expectations, his own expectation, and the other ones are 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 are, it's, are not easy. And it's not easy to deal with. Uh, what I can say for sure, we need to understand uh, he is a late bloomer. You know what I mean? So, for example, when he was having 17 years old, he was so skinny, so no beard yet, you know, so hormonally was not there. Uh, we were collaborating with Philippe Afriat, one uh, really good doctor from uh, Monaco, who is also working with a lot of players from ATP and WTA. And he was uh, like checking his uh, growth plates and he said, Dalibor, he's still uh, growing. So be careful with a lot of loading, uh, weight management loading, I think, no? So, uh, so uh, and when he was 18, the growth plate still wasn't closed. So uh, this is saying to me, you know, also knowing him that he, he's this late bloomer. So he's late bloomer physiologically, but I guess also psychologically. You know, that's why I'm not defending him, I'm not giving right to him, of course, but I think he needs a little bit more time. How much time? I don't know. But for sure, you know, pressure is there and it's not easy to deal with that. Pressure is there because uh, the other guys who are coming, you know, and as I said, expectations, expectations from him and from, uh, from uh, all around the world, you know, especially from Italy, you know, that he will be the next one. You know, yeah, especially with with Bertini always out as well, injured now. So it's yeah, injury. Yeah, now it's all on him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is we're going live. This going out on week one of Wimbledon, and so it might be a nice time to talk about the transition from training from what you change from clay court training to when you move to grass. How does change and train? Yeah, I, I posted like I think one or two years ago one one blog on, on, on my on my internet page where I I, I showed also the picture where uh, uh, different hitting point point heights of, from the from the hard court and from the clay court to the to the grass court you know and how this uh, how this hitting points uh, height of the hitting points it's always lower when you go to the to the grass you know. So basically, what, what's going on when the players go, especially from the from the clay, where, where the hitting point is highest, to the to the grass, where the hitting point is lowest? It's uh, usually first few days they have like sore glute muscles, sore leg muscles in general, because they need to be much much more lower, you know. 
and on the other hand they don't have time because as soon as the the the, the, the glass season is finished you we have three four weeks of the, uh, of the grass season so basically you need to to start to practice immediately on the grass so you don't have time to prepare the grass in a normal way you know so i'm sorry so um, what we do basically it's start to 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 switch the, the 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 pattern of movement from the clay court where you where you use a lot of sliding uh, uh during the the play uh to go on the grass where you need to use a lot of small steps when you decelerate to hit the ball when you get out of the ch change of direction position you know and to get lower you know so these are the two Two big differences you know to get lower to hit the ball from the lowest end because the low, the ball is sliding on the court and to to start to gain pattern to like i said before when you accelerate or decelerate or whatever that you use a small choppy steps more than you use a, a, a just pure sliding even if now i had another question a few days ago from one from one uh, coach to, on the instagram you can see now the best players are sliding everywhere you know now they are sliding on the hard court uh, and on the grass court as well yannick was sliding now in halle i was there so i saw him few slides was unbelievable you know when novak is sliding like on the grass even better than on the clay so uh the best ones are, are using this this pattern of movement also on the grass Sliding is something that always intrigues people, how the most ordinary people cannot slide. Obviously on a clay court, yes, some with their dominant leg. Most can't even slide. Some pros can't even slide on their non-dominant leg on clay. Yeah. Where does that force come to be able to slide on a hard court? It's a lot of, it's, in general, of course, we are talking about strength, you know, but a lot of it's much it's much um, uh, sorry much about controlling eccentric forces you know because when you run and then you want to slide for example on the in the open stance on the foreign side and you open with the with, with the right leg no you need to put you need to have a lot of good control eccentrically wise in the calf area on the on the front side of the, the of the lower leg you know so uh, uh, I'm not going now with the muscles uh, precisely, that, uh, doesn't matter. But you know, in the quad area, a lot this, uh, you need to have this really good balance, you know, uh, capacity to stay wide, really wide, not to lose balance, so to fall forward or backward, you know. So uh, I'm honestly, I'm using this uh, a lot of, when, with, with the players, especially in the clay, like you said, non-dominant leg, Usually, this is the left one uh, on the on the backhand stance, on the open 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 position. You know, uh, open stance on the backhand corner. Uh, for example, with Sasha now, this is a problem as well, and we started to work with this during the clay cold season to defend himself efficiently on the, on the backhand side. Then, when you build this pattern efficiently on the clay, then you can slowly start maybe also on the on the on the on the hard court. But before, if you are unable to do it on the clay, it's almost impossible that you're going to do it on the, on the hard court. I remember when I started to work with Milos Raonic, who is a Canadian player, so he was like never playing on the, when he was a kid, never, almost never played on the, on the, on the clay court. So when we started, he, he was unable to, to slide at all. So I was using at, at the beginning the slide board. You know, just to give him confidence to feel the sliding motion 
on, 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 on the slide board and then we slowly progress to the to the to the play actually without the ball drills and then slowly with the ball and you try to use also in the in the training process so it's like like every drill has his has progressions and regressions you know so you just need to know which kind of uh, uh, programmation you will use you know where you need to go to to which whichever player what are the capacity of that player you know yeah, interest. It's always it's great when you, sometimes you see some kids, like young kids, and they're you know they're just so quick now and they're sliding. But yeah. you mentioned you mentioned the word strength, and I'm curious to know if you've a figure for this. But let's say I've stopped growing. So I'm Yannick Sinner. I'm 24. I've stopped growing, uh, and I'm doing strength at a minimum. What sort of like what sort of uh, squat? should a tennis player be able to squat is it their body weight is you know is that a minimum yeah listen so uh in general so uh squat as as like uh with so first we need to analyze a sport you know what what we need you know in, in the sport so um for sure we need the strength, you know, because strength is foundation of so many things. It's, strong, it's foundation for the power, for the speed. So we need to have certain amount of the strength. But how much is enough? This is a good question. And uh, uh, one of the best answers is depend, you know, because depends on the type of the player you have in front of you. Do you have, like, type of the player as Novak, uh, as Sasha is, or Yannick is, and which uh, these are more fascial type of the players, you know, with the long limbs, uh, long muscles, you know, springy ones, which, which we, we, so they also need strength, but it's until a certain point, because when they start to lose this elasticity, this velocity, reactivity, then probably it's too much strength for them, you know. On the other hand, maybe you can have a players, they need more strength because they are not so springy, they are not so elastic, fascially driven. So they maybe need more raw strength, you know, in general. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I'm not a big fan of, of, of uh, heavy and uh, bilateral type of uh, uh, strength training for tennis players. What is bilateral? So what do you mean by bilateral? Squatting with two legs, you know, okay. squatting like with the two legs. I'm much more geared toward the unilateral stance, which is like split squatting. Rear foot elevating or Bulgarian squatting type uh, uh, lunging and that kind of stuff because this is I think much more uh, uh, trans need and offer much more transformation to the actual court you know and I, I like to see the player who can let's say uh, rear foot elevate squat uh, squatting like his own uh, body weight then to see a player on, on, on classical squat two times his body weight, you know, because it's, 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 it's more, uh, it, it's more transition to the court. Uh, because when you see tennis player or, or just pure running, it's basically one leg, uh, one leg sport. It's not two leg sport, you know? So, uh, also from my experience with the tennis players and with the, with the stress that puts on the hips, Rarely you will find two same hips, so two same equal hips. What I want to say is that the hips are moving um, 
uh, in the, uh, the same, you know, uh, that both, both hips have the same extension, internal external rotation, because there is always difference, you know, because of the sport, because they are serving always with one arm, so uh, landing on one leg, uh, they are able to slide on one side, so it's a different uh, stress on that leg than uh, on the hip, and then the other hip, you know. So uh, they have maybe one arm forward of hers, two arm backhand. So the, 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 all, this all creates differences with the, with the time, you know. And then if you have this, let's say, two different hips, to put bar on the back and now try to train the, the legs like you have two same hips, it's not the same stress, you know. So that's why we need to adapt maybe a little bit more. This is the second reason why I do not do not prefer bilateral classical strength training, you know. But but to be like more precise to, 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 to your question, as I said, strength until a certain point, you never know how much is enough. That's why we use uh, testing. So for example, let's say I improve uh so someone did uh, like 100 kilo squat five reps doesn't matter this is his uh, max and we measured his vertical jump and he jumped like 40 centimeters then we improved his squat so we decide we're going to do a lot of strength training uh, and everything uh, and then he went to 125 for five reps but his vertical jump went to 35 centimeters we are doing correct work with him or not, you know? So we went too much on the strength side of the continuum. That's why we need to be careful about that. that that's why we need to test uh, uh, also speed. We need to test acceleration stuff, change of direction stuff to be sure that, okay, we need strength. We're still improving speed, but when we start to lose the speed with this reactivity, maybe this is enough strength. And how often would you test one of your top athletes? Like four times a year, twice a year? Yeah, good question. Yeah, good question because you know how is the the the, the season of professional player? It's uh, like uh, you are happy if you have uh, four or five days of uh, one week of training without hitting tennis. You are happy. <laughs> so. Uh, how to organize this overload that you create some adaptations uh, also it's not easy so I would be happy if I can do it twice a year I'll be so happy sometimes I can do it only one time a year but uh, basically yes two times a year I think it's fair enough and, 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 and can be done yeah. uh, what exactly you test and you mentioned like a vertical jump maybe you're some sort of rep range max weight some uh, your change of direction, start, stop. So basically, if, uh, like I said, there is not enough time, never, with pro athletes, uh, tennis athletes. So uh, usually I never test strength by itself because it's uh, it's a big strength, strength it's a stress, sorry. So then it uh, creates soreness and then you don't, you don't have time to recover because, as I said, you never have enough time outside the court. That's why I'm using like general during the season strength training. When I'm doing it, I'm using as a testing. So I'm always taking notes and I know that we are doing split squatting uh, with this weight and then we, we, we increase the weight during the, 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 the year. It's, this is kind of the goal, you know. So I'm using this as a reference point. 
But on the other hand, like uh, power testing and uh, speed testing, uh, it can be done as a part of the speed or power workout, which you can do it, let's say, a little bit more often without creating uh, too much fatigue. So, uh, okay, uh, squat jump and contra-movement jump, when you go for that to see if you are losing this elasticity, what I was saying before, you know, this uh, springy effect, then 10 meters acceleration, change of direction, like uh, any kind of test you, you would like. We have like test patterns here in the center and uh, some endurance tests. What's an endurance test? An example of an endurance test? Yeah, your, your intermittent test, for example. We are using this one uh, uh, where you run for 20 meters back and forth. Then you have like uh, five seconds rest and then again. And the speed is increasing uh, with the time. So this one, it's uh, like a basic one. I usually like to do also 400 meters, just go uh, all out, just to see like the time and then uh, how well uh, players it's recovering after this uh, 400 meters bout, you know, to see what is his heart rate recovery, because this is telling you how efficient is the aerobic system. I'm just jumping in here. Can tennis players, should they be able to finish the beat test? Yeah, but uh, what for you is uh, uh, the finish test? What, what, what do you mean? Like full test? I, I remember some soccer players, some of my friends were soccer players, and they used to tell me they could finish the bleep, the, the bleep test, that they could get to the yeah. end of it. I, yeah. Uh, now, okay, so, uh, <laughs> so here in the center, we are using beep test until the 16 years old. Oh, yeah. Because, okay. because beep, beep test, it's almost purely aerobical. From the 16 on, we are using this yo-yo intermittent and uh, 400 meter test because it's much more anaerobic test. And uh, if you if you uh, like scan like tennis or you mentioned soccer players, I think that the, this sports are going much more uh, at that level, going much more to the anaerobic side of the curve. I'm not saying they are not aerobic in the nature. Yes, they are because soccer match is 90 plus minutes. Tennis match, you never know, from two to four hours, five hours. So there is aerobic component inside. But when you analyze the points, they are basically anaerobic in the nature, you know. So that's why uh, with, the, with the 16 plus players, we want one test and the yo-yo inter intermittent, it's much more also anaerobic in the nature because you have 20 minutes, uh, 20 meters, like sprint. In the beginning, it's not sprinting because you start with a slow speed. 20 minutes back, and then you have rest. Uh, 10 seconds rest. Sorry, I said five, five seconds before. No, it's 10 seconds rest. Then again, and then like this, you repeat. So it's, let's say, more, a little bit more correlated to, to, the, to, the, to the tennis, or let's say it's a little bit much, uh, more anaerobic also. You're measuring some anaerobic capacity as well. Or 400 meters, which is much more also anaerobic because you try to go as fast as possible this 400 meters. Yeah. What's it? I remember Murray famously, he used to do his 400 meter sprints and did he time a 65 seconds? He wanted all 10 of them done in under 65 seconds. From what I remember, I could be wrong, but for you, what should a male tennis player be able to do the 400 meter? But now listen, to, to be honest with you, it's, uh, the, so first, when you analyze this kind of running, so it's 400, it's straight, it's straight run. So uh, tennis players, they only when they accelerate to the to the to the sh to the drop shot, they are they are using this pattern of run. You know, so they are not so efficient. They are not so good 
in this kind of, of running, you know. So now to put some, uh, some time-wise uh, what they need to do to, to be good at this test, uh, it's, not, it's not fair. I think it's not correct, you know. So uh, because if you go compare them with, uh, I don't know, soccer players, it's not fair. Uh, with the track and field athletes, of course, it's not fair, you know. So it's so difficult to say. I'm using this test basically to, to, to see two things. First, I want to see the time because later on, when we're going to do some kind of anaerobic work and especially at the beginning of the preparation or when we have small cycles of work where I want to emphasize this, um, let's say, uh, anaerobic stuff, 200 meters, during the season, rarely 400 meters, but let's say 200 meters or whatever, I can decide the splitting time, you know, because I have his max time, you know, so I can decide, okay, uh, I want that you stay in the range of 80-85%, so this is going to be your time for 200 meters, let's say. And the second thing, like I said before, it's really important for me, it's to see after you finish, so max out 400 meters, to see your maximum heart rate, and how much you will recover in one minute. So after you finish 400 meters, when I'm starting immediately stopwatch, recover stopwatch, and I'm going to take your heart maximum heart rate as, you, as soon as you finish, and what is going to be your maximum, your recovery heart rate during that one minute period. And, and there, for example, uh, if this recovery uh, uh, beats, uh, recovery beats are less than 40, so let's say he finished with 180, and after one minute, it's 150, so it's only 30 beats per minute. This is not enough. No. It's not enough. So we need to have 40 or more. And like I said also before, this is telling me how efficient the aerobic system is to recover you during the anaerobic bursts. So this is, this is between two points. You have points with, let's say, it's last six seconds. During the 25 seconds of rest, you are using aerobic system to recover. With, the, with, the, with this test, I'm controlling if you improve your aerobic test. Basically, that's fitness, isn't it? That's how fit this you are. This is the fitness. Yeah, this is the fitness. Yeah. And now's actually a good time to talk about soon very soon on Functional Tennis, we are going to be, well, we've teamed up with Desmotech with a product that you know well of, uh, you yeah. use called the Desmotech V Mini, and it's basically a portable inertial training device that we're starting to see. It weighs about four kilos in its bag, and we're starting to see a lot of... Uh, a little bit more. It's not four, a little bit more. And little I was bit, okay. joking with Alberto, you know, uh, who is uh, the owner of the company. I wanted for him to make for me two kilos because I ah. said, I always need like like some kilos when you're traveling, you know. It's money. So, it's all money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so basically, it's, it's a train device. We're starting to see a lot of the pro ATP and WTA players use with their trainers. They use the side of courts. They use it in maybe the gym doesn't have some equipment and it's really, it is portable, nice backpack. But uh, maybe you can tell us the advantages of the inertial training and the advantages of being able to bring a device like this with you when you play your tournaments. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of benefits. Uh, Let's go first from the physiological standpoint. So this is like uh, iso-inertial device, a flywheel now technology. And uh, it's geared a little bit more towards the uh, like uh, favoring or, or, or met, uh, making more like uh, concentrations on the, on the eccentric uh, muscle stimulation. 
second of all, which for me it's really beneficial, it's uh, fascially driven, so stimulates fascia, like fascial training. And uh, uh, the third reason, as you mentioned, it's so, so good to have some kind of advice, uh, some kind of uh, 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 machine like, like this with you when you travel, because uh, so many times during the year we don't have like gym around us, especially not with the Iser natural equipment, but for sure not. But also you sometimes you have a gym where you have like uh, two dumbbells of four kilos, uh, one medicine ball, two stationary bikes and two mats, you know, and else it's what you bring with you on the tournament. And, uh, and now imagine you have scenario where, uh, uh, your player is losing first round. Then you decide, you decide to stay there for another three days for training. Then you suddenly have window of three days of three days of good work opportunity. But you cannot do almost nothing, you know, from the fitness perspective uh, with the equipment you have around you. Then Desmotec it's a really, really good solution because you can use it there. Like for the, uh, for example, in this uh, uh, we we mini product, you can do activation stuff uh, mainly, but also uh, can be used with the double disc. Can be used also if you want to stimulate a little bit more strength training, like a stimulation again, not development, because if you are on the tournaments, you you are not supposed to do this kind of stimulations when you are close to the tournaments. But you can do also uh, this this training approach and can be used really really efficiently on the pre rehab work. You know, pre rehab for shoulders, for the hips. Big big advantage to have this this machine with you. And a question I'm going to get asked a lot is from a, you know, from a warm-up point of view, using it as a warm-up, using it uh, to get the muscles going. What's the difference between using that and me just having a 10 euro bungee cord? So, uh, um, you can use it like, like, a, uh, so, uh, I, will, I will share with you how I'm using it. And now, for example, we were doing like this in Halle now with, with Sasha. So, uh, we started with the ground series uh, warm-up system, you know, so basically exercise on the floor. Then you start with uh, some band exercise. You go to the pre-activation stuff with some band type of the exercise, start to moving a little bit. And then when you get to the final part of the warm-up, where you get to the, let's say, activation. So it's not only pre-activation, it's activation. Then you start with what? A little bit running, a little bit change of direction, maybe accelerations if you have enough space. Then you put also also inside Desmotech kind of two simulating uh, hitting point uh, using your arms, or you can use like change of direction stuff again with the belt around the player where, where he needs to do also small jumps or small change of direction, where again you emphasize a little bit this uh, unstable environment because. If you uh, if you never use this isolation, uh, uh, it's difficult to explain uh, because when you are using the regular weights, you are in a way stable. You know, so you are standing on the ground, or, or you are in a split step. Uh, you are a little bit less stable because you are not bilaterally positioned. But again, it's 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 a stable everything. When you, for example, do a split squat using the W mini and you are pulling something and you are split squatting, you are feeling really unstable. So. From coordination standpoint, it's so uh, it's so uh, useful. Uh, uh, why? Because on the court, nothing is stable. You are in a constantly changing environment. 
you need to adapt all the time before every shot, uh, especially if you are defending, uh, defending position on the court. So with the, with the Desmotech, you can like simulate all of these, these situations and uh, also stimulating, as I said before, eccentric uh, contraction and, uh, and, and, and fascia training. And I've just one more question regarding it for you. So you're in a gym, there's a cable pulley machine there. Why would you use the the V-mini or inertial training instead of using, look, I have a cable machine, I don't need that. Listen, uh, uh, let's say the question is designed like, okay, we, a cable machine is not good, uh, Desmotech is good. No, 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 no. All, it's, all equipment is good, you know, more toolbox you have, uh, more tools you have, sorry, in your toolbox, uh, the better coach you are, you know, so you just need to know when uh, you want to use it, you know. So if I want, uh, like, the, the, the answer is almost the same as what, what I said before. If I will prefer, and when I will prefer Desmotec or Isoinertial, it's in these situations. When I want to get a little bit more specific, you know, when I want to, to use this machine to get, uh, to simulate movements on the court, uh, uh, uns unstable position on the court, for example, this is, this is really beneficial. Uh, then I will go to the, to the Desmotech. If I want to do pre-activation, as I said before, I will use the band or I will use the cable in this, uh, in this scenario, you know, where I'm going to be much more stable and I can go, I don't know, I don't, I want to now stimulate rotation through the upper body. So I take the handle and I'm going to do pushing motion, you know, only with one arm and the handle is attached behind me, you know, but if I want to simulate something much more dynamically, much more like, um, uh, related to the sport, maybe I'm going to do is now, let's say, uh, pushing again, but with doing split squat, when I'm, when I'm in the bottom position of the split squat, I'm going to be back with my arm, but when I stand up on the split squat, I'm going to push again, the, the Desmotech or the flywheel, it's, it's behind me, you know, and believe me, it's completely different exercise, completely, because you need to use much more your core, much more your hips to be stable in that position. You know, so much more muscle coordination is needed. I think coordination is a good point there. I was, when I was with Lapo Beccarini a few months ago, he had me using the bigger machines and I started doing the squats on it. It was really hard, really, really hard. And there's a coordination. Yeah. Yeah. And I was doing some other stuff with upper body stuff on the bigger machine. And then there was, uh, then they had some vibration stuff as well. And yeah. it was, yeah. there was a lot going on there. And he was telling me some players, it takes a while before they get on top of the coordination yeah, stuff. Yeah. So we call it this familiarization, you know? So when you start for the first time with the player, he needs some time to get used to it because it's, like I said, it's completely different uh, setup, you know, regarding uh, uh, weights, so using the weights as, 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 a, as a training. Yeah. Training. I've only a couple more questions for you. Uh, one is a lot of our listeners are parents of junior players. And do you have any advice for them to help them from a strength and conditioning point of view? So uh, maybe I think the best way to, to, to answer this question is uh, how we're approaching training with the, with the young players here in the, in the center. And uh, this is by just purely following what we are calling uh, development model. So 
during our growth, you know, we have a specific time windows, time periods where we can specifically develop, uh, uh, the body is more prone for developing specific uh, capacities. For example, when you are uh, around uh, 14 years old, still a bit different because it depends on the biological maturation and everything else, but you are generally from uh, 13 to 15 years old, the biggest windows of adaptations, it's aerobic system. So it's hard itself. So it's really, it's considering that at that age, you try to develop your aerobic system a lot. So which methodology you're going to use, just pure running, you're going to use a little bit machines, slideboard for the tennis, whatever, doesn't matter. But from the physiological standpoint, the heart, it's prone for adaptations, you know. On the other hand, also like strength training, it's based on your, like puberty, when your hormone rises a lot, it's, it's connected also with your growth. Uh, when the growth is in, in the final phase, you can push much more also with the weight training, you know. So, uh, uh, so we have this kind of windows of adaptations during the development. And I think this is like a, a, a really, really good approach with the, with the young, young players. And we should follow this, in my opinion. Nice. And where you're big into books, you're big into reading, you're big into learning. What books do you recommend people to read who want to learn about the area? I know there's a lot of books. Yeah. But is there any for you? What's your top book that you think it could be really useful for somebody to read? Now, uh, really tough question. Huh? So, the, the, again, depends because depends about what uh, what the topic you wanna you wanna search on. You know, if this is classic strength conditioning uh, literature, or it's something about uh, emotional control, uh, stress uh, response control. Uh, uh, so tough to answer. Maybe, like, I will start with one which I'm like reading right now. Uh, it's called Dopamine Nation. It explains how we get uh, like uh, addicted on dopamine in a way, you know, by using our smartphones, but uh, by uh, using our iPads or technology, by um, uh, doing the things what we only like to do in general. Uh, so um, explaining also how what's going on in the body when we are under stress. Uh, because I think I can use this also by, with working with my players. So uh, this is one good one now, which I like a lot. As I said, uh, what, which, which book now to like mention that uh, I like the books from, uh, from, uh, from uh, they're talking about the, the human body in general. So they are maybe more geared toward the also physiotherapy side, not only strain and conditioning, like uh, uh, Vladimir Yanda books, you know, approach to, 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 to training from Vladimir Yanda or uh, functional training from, uh, from Mike Boyle, uh, volume one, volume two. Uh, There's a lot. That's really, really difficult for me, you know. Then from the, from the, from the stress response, another one, uh, I, I read it uh, like a few months ago, Warrior Meditation which is for me maybe useful more for athletes because it's not like, you know, classic type of, uh, 
is teaching not classic type of of of, uh, of meditation, you know, exercise, lie down or sit in a quiet room. So it teaches you how to maybe meditate uh, when you are, let's say, in some uh, crazy area. Boss. Yeah. And then, uh, and then who came up to my mind, I saw so many times Novak back in the day, sitting in the player's lounge with a towel around his head, you know, and, uh, I guess he was meditating back then and doing something like that, you know? Yeah. And just one, one thing I came across a book during the week, this weekend called the naked warrior. Somebody said you should read it. Is it a good book or is it not a good book? Yeah. It's from Pavel Tatsulin, a guy, Russian guy who early nineties, he went to the States, he went to the States and uh, brought this, uh, to the States, this, uh, Russian kettlebell, uh, training, uh, uh, terminology and technique and everything else. You know, what is kettlebell? No, the weight with the bell, like, yeah. uh, yeah. So, uh, and, uh, in this book, he's like, uh, talking about few exercises which we can, it's more for the, for the general fitness people. Yeah. It's not so much for the athletes, uh, but it's saying that the, how you can use your own body and using also the, 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 the kettlebell and how you can do a few more movements, uh, train your whole body, you know? So, uh, uh, it's a good exercise. Like I said, not maybe only for, it's not so good for only athletes. But for me as a coach, uh, there are some few good points inside the book because, you know, more you are reading, it's not that with some new book you're going to find, uh, I don't know, 80% new stuff. No, you are with every, from every book, you try to get 5-10% and then you are, you are really happy about it. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree with you. It's like spending time with people, other trainers. You might learn one thing from being with another team and you bring that back and yeah. This is what I, this, this is what I like a lot to go on the courses, you know. Uh, I'm doing courses for the coaches as well, but also me to be like attendant on one course. It's good because then you can, you can, you can talk with other coaches, with the other guys who are there and girls, and then you can share your ideas, listen to them. Sometimes for me going on a dinner with these participants, it's, it's even more beneficial than staying there and listening just uh, on the course. Yeah, you know? I agree. Yeah. I agree. Uh, Davalor, thank you very much for coming on. That was really interesting. Uh, I hope Sasha gets on well at Wimbledon. I know you won't be there, but you're catching up with him afterwards. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and I hope to see you at the tennis centre on tour at some stage. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was a big, big pleasure. And uh, I guess, as I said at the beginning, uh, when I see all the people who was, uh, who was on your podcast, I'm really, really privileged. And uh, I'm, I'm really happy to be part of, of your, uh, your podcast series. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed that chat. I thought there was plenty of great takeaways in there. And I hope you do too. I'll be back next week. And until then, goodbye.